What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. All right, Nightmare Success listeners, we are back. And you guys come here for what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. How do you adapt, survive, overcome, set yourself free? Well, I have. Uh, I want to give a shout-out here to Ronnie Lankford. If anybody was uh, listening last week, uh, we published his, um, his interview, which was fantastic. It was a, a great comeback story. But Ronnie was a uh, and is a um, member of a group called Link Boys, a, uh, a great group that uh, I play a little bit of their music. I've got his partner here today, and uh, Danny Mitchell actually goes by 3D also. He's actually got a song that is on the radio now. It's called Goodbye. Rescue Me. Oh, Rescue Me. I, I, that's the first one I saw on there. You're right. You're right. I'm looking at the first one. It's Rescue Me is the number two one on here. I'm looking at Spotify. Uh, yeah, what, is, what, a, uh, what a story. He, you know, I was telling him this morning, we were talking that, you know, so many people, you know, that are going through their stuff. The great thing about Danny's story is, is that, you know, it's not an easy road to get to where you want to be. Recovery can be zigzag back, two steps back, three steps forward, knock sideways, have to get back up. You know, for those who think it's just a direct line to success, it's not. And I think that's what's great about Danny's story is, is that, He's here. He's making it happen. He's been through one hell of a journey, and uh, his his story is one where you just you just feel good when you hear about it. Before we get into that, because I can't wait to get into all this, uh, let's recognize our uh, our sponsor here, Auto Plaza Direct. You know who likes spending a couple of weeks walking car lots looking for a car? Then you go and you spend like four or five hours a lot looking for a car, and then they go into the dealership. You know, it's kind of like a trip to the dentist. Well, there's a better way. Take away all the pain and hassle of getting a car. It's called Auto Plaza Direct. They are your personal car concierge. Just tell them the car you want, what you can pay, and they'll go find that car for you. They'll negotiate your best price and deliver that car to wherever you are. They also offer you warranties and financing. It's full service. Go to autoplazadirect.com to get started with your personal car concierge. The new hassle-free way, the car buying experience you deserve. Auto Plaza Direct. Tell them that Brent from Nightmare Success sent you. All right, Danny Mitchell, welcome in, man. Welcome, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for uh, – uh, Danny drove over here from Collinsville, so it was a little bit of a drive. Um, so I appreciate you coming in because it's, uh, it's early in the morning here in St. Louis. So, Danny, I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. It's it's an honor to be here. Anytime I can share my story and offer some hope to someone that's, um, you know, walked through the same pathways that I've walked, then um, I'm always trying to do that for sure. And I think that's a great thing. I mean, this is one of the great things about this this show is is that you know there's so many different stories of getting through your stuff and you know being able to share your story and people being able to plug in and say, wow, that could have been me or that is me. How do I get to the next step? And, you know, you've made, you've made some really hard steps um, and had to just keep believing in yourself to know that you, you've, 
you didn't give up on yourself really. Yeah, true. And you know, everybody's story is different. So it's like, um, my story might help this one person, but this other person has no relation to it. So that's, what's uh, unique about these inspirational stories, uh, you know, combined, you know, so it's gonna, it's gonna reach one person that it might not, you know, reach the if other. If we reach so. one person, we've done our job today. That's it, man. That's it. <laughs> well, take me back a little bit. Uh, I know you are from Illinois, just across the river, but what, what was life like for you growing up as a kid as we meet you? So first, uh, one of the first childhood memories that I have was actually um, my biological dad and my mom. Um, they got in a fight argument broke out my dad leaves um and that's basically about all i see for my dad for a while so how old had you been then i want to say maybe three or four yeah you know young kid yeah young and uh then my mom had met a uh, another guy which was would later become my stepdad so i have um a brother and two sisters that i grew up with that are blood. And then my stepdad, he had a son and two daughters. So there were seven of us kids. That's a large amount of people, family. And siblings. then I had two half brothers from my dad, a different mom, but they didn't live with us. Did you know them? Um, I knew of were they them. all in the same area? Like in you- the same area, I knew of them. But when I was younger, I really didn't get to see too much of them. I actually. Were you Got guys to, all in the same school district? Um, no, no, um, but pretty close. Yeah, but they was they was a lot older too, though. So, yeah. um, so it was uh, later on in life I would actually get to meet them and know them more. But um, taking you back to um, meeting my stepdad, seven kids. Um, we didn't really have much growing up. We grew up in a little town. It's actually in Collinsville, Illinois, but it's called State Park. Yeah. Um, it's a little, uh, poverty stricken, uh, little community Heard of that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, that's basically where I had spent from, uh, five to 12 years old. I had spent there. Um, ch- as far as childhood, we had a pretty good childhood. Um, as far as, you know, like doing family stuff and stuff like that. Um, but like I said, we didn't have a bunch of money. So did your mom work? She did when she could. My yeah. stepdad worked every day. A lot of times she had to take care of so many kids. So. Sure. But we actually lived in a two-bedroom trailer, and there were seven of us kids living in one room. So, wow. Yeah. and uh, um, But, you know, like they always did their best for us as far as, you know, Christmas and holidays. And, um, you know, when we'd get out of school for summer vacation, you know, they would take us camping and take us to Raging River, take us to Six Flags. So, the, you know, like as far as – childhood memories like there was a lot of good ones yeah um my stepdad had struggled with a little bit of addiction it didn't get too crazy but when he used like you could tell like his mood swings and stuff like that so were you aware that he was using or not not at the time like you know um later i would find out you know uh he he was a functioning addict as most people would call you know because he could use and, and get up and go to work and you know versus you know like you know, addict that's just, just fully strung, strung out. out. Yeah. Um, but it still came out like in his, his behavioral. So, um, a lot of times he would take his, you know, his aggression out on us verbally, not physically, mm-hmm. you know, sort of sense. Um, but definitely verbally abusive. So, um, and then my dad, like my biological dad, he hit the road with the gypsies and they, uh, uh, gypsies was basically these group of gypsies that, 
would travel the country laying asphalt. So he hit the road with them, and maybe once a year I would get a call or a visit from him. So there really wasn't any connection there with No, him. and, like, I I wanted that connection. It was like I could never get that connection. Yeah. I actually remember one year it was my birthday. And I don't know, it was probably six or seven. He called me and told me happy birthday and told me he was coming. Um, so I was so excited. I went outside, and uh, I lived at a dead-end street. So I'm looking down the street waiting on on this big asphalt truck to come because that's what he always pulled up in when he mm-hmm. came, which was really fascinating as a kid to be able to oh, climb yeah. and play in that truck. Big so, piece of equipment. Yeah. yeah, so it was cool. Well, I sat out there for like three or four hours, and he never showed up, never called, and I just remember sitting out there bawling my eyes out. Uh, that's like something you see on the movies. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I wrote a song about that, but I haven't released it yet. But, um, but yeah, like in, you know, as a kid, you don't understand that. You think it's, you know, you think it's your fault. And uh, I remember like the time before he came, he when he had come down, when I did see him, he had like some fishing poles and a, like a tackle box in his truck. And I, I remember like asking him for it and he, he was like reluctant to give it to me, but he finally did. So when he doesn't show up, my first thought was, man, I should have never asked him for that stupid fishing pole. You know what I mean? It's Thinking all my it fault. fault. It's yeah. all my fault. You know, my, now my dad's not going to show up. So later on I would learn, you know, the real reason and it's because he was a struggling addict. And uh, he actually was using that day, and he felt so ashamed that he mm. he didn't want to come down. But did your mom have anything to say when all this happened? Like a you know a kid that's upset, and yeah, he's sitting out front looking for his dad. And I I would think as the as the parent on the other side, that, yeah, that just tear you apart. Definitely, um, she was definitely comforting, you know, and you know she would try to she would never. My mom's such a good spirit and good soul. She would never like try to bash my dad or yeah. you know. Um, trying to point the blame, but, you know, she would say stuff like, you know, maybe he couldn't make it, maybe he got sick, you know, just trying mm-hmm. to be protective, but at the same time not, like, bashing him because, of course, she knew everything that was going on, right. you know. So, um, yeah, she she tried to do the best with, you know, the situation that she could. So as you got along and you got a little older and went to school, and, and uh, what was your school life like? School was pretty good. Like, I was a really – uh quick learner i've always always made good grades i I played sports i was really athletic yeah um i had a lot of pressure from my my stepdad being uh verbally abusive it always felt like i was walking on eggshells around him you know so it was kind of like that tiptoe and it it always felt like you know he was you know over me and like trying to tell me what to do and then it's like as a kid it's like you're looking at this guy like you're not my dad you know what i mean you can't tell me what to do you know so that rebellious kind of spirit i think had started Mm -hmm. um at a young age um so 12 years old my mom and my stepdad split up um over some you know complications with their marriage and we actually moved to the next town relocate and then she gets what another guy um who she would later marry and then it was like i'm a teenager now um here's this new guy trying to step in and it's just like i'm looking at this dude like yeah he's kind of like an an interloper an imposter like (laughs) dude you're not gonna tell me what to do get away from me i've already tried to step that thing it didn't work yeah like i'm done with that yeah i'm done with that so it was like i would go out of my way just if he says not to do something i would go out of my way to do it you know so 
uh, that whole rebellious kind of teen phase, I think, had stemmed. Were you from close all that. with your siblings during very this time? Very close, yeah. yeah. We was we was very close, um, really tight knit, you know, because it was like through our joys and through our struggles, we always you had, had each to band, other. You banded together. We banded yeah, together. On each other. So yeah. Um. So around this time, my my one of my older brothers who I live with, he started getting in trouble with the law. And he he's uh, four years older than me, so I'm 12, he's 16. He actually starts going to, like, juvie and juvenile institutions and stuff like that. So when that happened, it like uh, it really started to tear us apart, you know. It was like, here's a, one of the persons that I look up to, and yeah. he's no longer around, you yeah. know. So yeah, I'm getting in fights with kids at, at school. It's like, you know, you always want to run to your older sibling yeah. and tell him I can't do that with him because now he's locked up, you yeah. know. So, um, and like my mom did her, you know, she, God bless her soul, she did her best to really raise us. But I know it's got to be hard on, you know, a single parent trying to raise four kids. So, um, a lot of times, you know, we would do, you know, we would take off and, you know, and go get in trouble and stuff like that. So, and always kept hush hush about it. And, um, before I know it, I find myself, you know, getting in trouble with the law, um, hanging out. Like I had a lot of, we got a lot of cousins and our, our family's like really big, but a lot of them are older. So mm-hmm. I would hang out with a lot of them, but they always, you know, they would hang out with the older crowd. So I found myself around them. So, um, started, you know, smoking weed and drinking like at the age of 12, 13, smoking cigarettes, because going. really you were with the older crowd. Right. Yeah. So even though they're experiencing this, you know, firsthand, you yeah. know, 17, 18. You're just a kid. I'm just a kid, you know. And uh, so that's basically where my trouble had started. So did it seem normalized when you were in that environment? Because and I've talked to a lot of different people that have gone through that. Did, did you feel like um, because these were the people you knew and family and that, that it just seemed okay or yes yeah yeah absolutely like even even with my addiction like I remember going to parties and like all my friends cousins and family I mean they're sitting there getting you know they're just drinking you know drink after drink and it's to the point where they're just you know heavily intoxicated so to me that was the normal like the way you did it yeah, yeah like I never looked at drinking like a um a social thing or something. Yeah. It's like, if you drink, you're supposed to get wasted. You yeah. know, if you ain't puking, you ain't drinking enough. So, yeah. um, definitely the abuse of alcohol and drugs, you know, had started from that, you know, and it was like, yeah, that was socially accepted in, in my family to smoke weed and, and to drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so it, it was a, a sense of normalcy. Did that. you start thinking as a kid at that time going, you're in high school, uh, did you think that maybe you had a problem or did you think that you had any addiction or did you just think I'm just living life? No, I just thought, man, I'm just living life. You know, I'm living. Did it escalate? It did. Yeah. Yeah, it did over time. So how did that all happen for you? Um, I, so probably like 13, 14, tried cocaine, mm-hmm. um, did that occasionally, you know, that was really expensive when I was younger. So it's not like we always had our hands on that. But then I remember, um, trying like Oxycontin and Vicodin for the first time. And I think I was like 14, 15. And that like, that I felt like was my drug of choice. Cause when I first tried it, I was just like, whoa, like this is good, you know? Mm-hmm. And like pills, 
back then were so easily accessible. I mean, you could find them, you know, in any bathroom and people sold them and it was really cheap at the time. So, yeah. and then, you know, a lot of people, you know, they assume that since it's prescribed from a doctor or it's a pharmaceutical that, you it's know, it's, safe. it's safer, you yeah. know? So, um, so yeah, that's where my opioid addiction had really started. And then after that, I just continued to do pain pills up until I was like 18. So did, I know you're, I mean, you are into and really good at music. Uh, Thank you. We're going to play some of your music because it's, and you're on the radio. You don't just easily get on the radio. Absolutely. Uh, um, were you into music back then? So I actually started writing. Because um, some of your songs are really deep. I mean, I, that one that I watched um, where you're actually in the trailer park where yeah. you used to get high and, yeah. and man, it's powerful addiction. Yeah. That's, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Anybody check that out there. You can see that one on YouTube. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's powerful and really good. But so anyway, you, you, you did, or you were getting into music at that time or so, how did that all happen for you? So like my right hand man, my best friend who was also my cousin, you know, um, he was, he was older. He was, I was like 15. He was like 18, 19. He had started doing hip hop music, you okay. know, so that hip hop, I, I grew up in a multicultural family, yeah. so it was white, you know, uh, all blended, all, all blended. Yeah. So white, black, you know, Spanish. So, and we all grew up, a lot of us had grew up on the same street. Yeah. So, um, I grew up listening to all types of music. So I loved all music. Um, he had started writing hip hop music and it had showed me and then he had, you know, he had kind of like, he's like, man, you should try to write. We can you yeah. know do it together. And of course, I looked up to him, so I'm thinking if he's doing it, he's cool. You know, he was the cooler kid. He was older. He was he was dealing drugs. He had money. He had women. So it was like I was I looking up to him. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to be like that. So um, I started – I remember, like, the first song when I actually sat down, I put the beat on. I'm sitting on my mom's computer at home, and, like, the lyrics just naturally came out. Yeah. Like, it was, like, so natural and so easy. Um, but, yeah, that's where it started. So I started doing, like, street music. Um, when I had first started, so, so when you, how, Danny, how did this progress for you? Because, uh, you know, there, the, I couldn't tell from reading your the background, um, like when was the first time that you really got hit, tangled up in something, and and what was that? Like, when did you get put away for a while? So, when I was thirteen. Um, I robbed some houses in my neighborhood mm -hmm. and judge gave us, he gave me, it was me, it was actually me, my sister and a couple of my friends. He gave us probation. He gave us a couple weekends. Okay. Um, which was like, as a kid having experienced that, it was like, it was traumatizing I bet. for real. I remember sitting in that cell, just like wanting to go home. And it was like, yeah, it just sucked. Um, I wish I could say like that was enough to, to stop me, but it was like, you don't probably saw a lot of other people that happening too. Yeah. It's They're like older than you. Well, yeah. And then it's like, you know, you tell yourself you're never going to do that. Um, but you still do stuff that can lead. Sure. Back that Put way. Put yourself in the danger zone. Yeah. And then especially with drugs, like when you're, you know, when you're using drugs, you're not you're really thinking clearly. Yeah, yeah. You don't really, you're not thinking clearly anyway. So it's like, you tell yourself you're not going to go back, but you're, you're doing drugs. What's so going to, you know, you're going to go back. So, um, 
so that's where my trouble had started the first and then you know continued i kept you know catching cases and burglaries and stuff like that they try to send me to rehab i would leave the rehabs i'd go on the run mm -hmm. so that's where it started so um, the judge eventually got tired and was like, you're going to juvenile DOC. And that's when they sent me to a place called IYC Harrisburg. It was, uh, it's in Illinois. What was it like? It was, it was. And how old were you? I was 13, 14 years old. And to have to experience that, it was a culture shock. It yeah. was, it was traumatizing. There was, there's 500 kids in there and, you know, a, a lot of, you know, all the kids in there have troubled backgrounds. You know, the troubled youth, a lot of them misguided. There's gangs in there. There's fights every day because these kids are trying to prove themselves. Yeah. You know, so it's like 500 kids, but there's a fight, like, literally every single day. Stabbing's going on, you know. Um, they lock you in a cell. You know, if you're not going to school, you know, or you work a, a job for a couple hours, like, they would, you would basically be locked in a cell. And then it was like, even they get, you know, like they sold TVs in there, but in order to get a TV, like you'd have to be on your best behavior. And I, I don't know, they could have changed a lot of this stuff, you know, from yeah. from when I was in there until now, I don't really know. Um, but it was like, and then the staff would show favoritism on, on kids in there. So it was like, if you didn't make this certain grade um, on your level, you couldn't even buy a TV. And then even if you did get a TV, um, you you could lose it, you know. If you wasn't on your Based best behavior, you, yeah. and they had books in there, and don't get me wrong, I, you know, I, I learned to to love to read, but you know, so you had education in there. You actually you yep. went to school in there, and and you were it was just a hardcore high school inside a prison. <laughs> it was, and I got my GD in there. I took some college. Uh, How long were you in there? So, um, it would be like six months. I'd get out for six months, go in a year get out for, you know, a year and a half or something like that back in. So over from the age of 13 to 18, I probably had about three years in that place. Three years in. Yeah. Wow. That's hardcore education. Yeah, it is. Growing up. For sure. So you age out of that. What happens next in your life? Well, it's okay. So um, 16, let's, let's go to 16 years old. Um, I have a baby. Oh, uh, and it's like, I have a son, my son's born and I, I tell myself like, I'm going to do the right thing. Right. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like how my dad was. I'm not going to abandon my kid. Do the exact you know? opposite. Yeah. I'm going to be there cause I know how it feels. Right. And I, I believe that within my soul, like I would have sold my soul at that moment. Cause I know that like that, that was my mind focus, you know? Um, but using drugs, you know, yeah. you get caught up and stuff so um caught an adult case was was still using drugs trying to manage you know um and then dcfs had gotten involved right after i had my daughter so i had my son at 16 i had my daughter at 18 dcfs gets involved i get locked back up uh dcfs takes the rights of my kids because i and, can't be a dad and then who do they go to um so foster parents yeah. they had first went to her side of the families uh they went to her her side of the family first mm -hmm. um but later would go into a foster home so what how does that affect you because I, I mean you being who you were as a kid and having this um complicated relationship about how you felt about your dad 
knowing that now you had kids and you were going to try to be the opposite of that and be that dad. And now the kids are taken away. They're put in foster care. What's going through your mind? It's like the person that I did not want to become, I was becoming, yeah. you know, and it was like, even did you though, feel hopeless. Did it feel like you didn't have control or you were powerless? Like the, the, the addiction was, you didn't have the clear mind to do what you wanted to do. Um, it was a lot of everything, really. There would be moments where I would, you know, like, even like they they had tried to get me to sign my rights yeah. away. They're like, there's no way you're going to win in court. Just go ahead and sign this paper, you know. Yeah. And I wouldn't. I refused to do it. Like, I'm like, no, you guys got to, you're going to have to take me to court and take my rights. I'm not going to sign my rights over. Like, yeah. I love my kids. I want to be there for my kids. Yeah. You know, and I just, but I couldn't be there for my kids. So, um, yeah, but when I had when I had lost the rights to my kids and you know, they, they did give me chances, you know, they, they'd offer me help to go to rehab. I went to rehab. I actually completed it, but I got out and I started using again. Mm -hmm. Then I got like back up. So it's not like they didn't give me a chance. You were just in and out. I was just in and out. I was in that young phase. And, um, for, for many years, like I just, I think, you know, a lot of addicts struggle with this. They, they believe that they can manage their addiction and it, and it never starts out like, when you do get clean and you get that sober period, you tell yourself that you can just drink. Yeah. Oh, I can be a normal drinker, you know. I can I can go to this this ball game and have a beer. Like that's yeah. a good social you know, Everybody's everybody else that. is doing it. Right. So why right. can't I do it? So but it never works that way. And it's like some addicts drive themselves to the graves trying to do this. It wasn't until later that I realized like I can't use nothing it's whatsoever. Be, yeah. It's gotta be complete abstinence. I wish I would have learned that at a younger age, but I didn't. So yeah. um, it took me a long time to learn that. So so I'm, like, trying to get my kids back, and then, you know, I catch more cases because I'm still out. You know, now I'm committing frauds, you know, home repair frauds, because yeah. that's basically what my dad was mm -hmm. doing, and he kind of taught me that when he came back around. When I was, like, 16, he actually moved back into town. So I started getting to know him more, and he, he had kind of taught me that. He taught me how to work for myself, but he also taught me how to scam people. So yeah. um, that – had become one of my charges. So um, I'm back in prison. I lose my rights. And then when I, when I lost my rights, it was just like, it just made me worse. Like yeah. that's when I started using a needle. That's when I started shooting heroin. Like it just, I, I just lost Took hope. all the way down, hit the rock bottom. Yeah. I just lost hope. And I just, I just gave up on like trying. So what, you know, when that happens, cause I, you know, going in and out of prison, catching different, um, uh, charges and going back and getting out trying to get clean coming back getting out losing your kids hitting rock bottom um what's because at some point because i know that you at some point you you make you make this change but then you actually go back again so how does that all how does that all happen for you because like it, at the time period that you lose your kids like where, where are you in like the age world 21 okay so you're still a young kid yeah i'm 35 now yeah. so I'm like 20 yeah like 21 yeah so you you lose them you you hit the rock but i guess you're in prison when the, you start going down this dark you know rock bottom in and out yep. yeah so when you're in prison what's going on in prison what what what's your life like and when you're when you're in there what what what's are you because you're, are you getting clean or are you, are you still using, how's, how's it working for you? So when I had started doing 
time, I started doing time in Illinois because that's where I'm from. When I was about around after I lost my kids, I had actually caught some cases in St. Louis. So I started doing time in Missouri. Yeah. Missouri prisons and Illinois prisons, even though they're right next to each other, they're, they're ran completely different. Yeah. So Illinois, the drugs wasn't easily accessible in Illinois, at least not where I was at. Yeah. So in the prison. Right. Yeah. So in there, I'm like, you know, I'm working out heavily. I'm trying to eat right. I'm trying to get, you know, I'm, I'm on my spiritual journey. I'm reading the Bible, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, but there's really no choice in there. So, and it was good though, because it helped me grow. You know, mm -hmm. some people have to be, have to have that stuff taken away yeah, from them where they have no access down. to it, yeah. you know? So, um, but it's like, I got my head clear. All right, I'm going to get out. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do right. I'm going to become successful. And then it's like, I get out. I'm wanting to go socialize, have fun. Before I know it, I'm drinking. Lead you back down the wrong path. Before I know it, I'm I'm wanting an upper because I'm so drunk. You know what I'm saying? And then, uh, you know, I do an upper like meth or cocaine. And then it's like, I'm I'm too up. So now I want something to calm me down. So now I do some, you know, some yeah. opiates, some heroin. Oh, now I'm, now I'm right where I want to be. So now I'm doing heroin every day. Before I know it, I got a $500 a day habit. And you're spiraling. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm getting sloppy out here. I'm not. I'm not complete work. I'm scamming people. I'm robbing. People are letting me in their house. I'm stealing stuff out of their house, yeah. you know, so. To support your habit. Just support my habit, you yeah. know. So um, I'd get locked up, and then, you know, like when I had first went down to Missouri, I did. It was my longest stretch ever. It was six years. That is uh, a long stretch. Yeah. Where were you in Missouri? Um, so I started out at Algoa Correctional Center, then went to Pacific, um, that's where I actually met Ronnie. Yeah. So, and then later would go to OCC, which was a year long drug treatment. But like in Missouri prisons, like the drugs are just so easily accessible in there, you know? So, um, I started cutting hair in there. I'm like the lead barber. So, and the way the, you know, the prison was set up at, at Pacific, you know, the barber had access at night, um, in the winter and, because the yards would be shut down. So the barber had access to all the wings. Mm -hmm. So these guys, you know, they get their, their drugs in. Well, who do they need to carry it to the next wing? The yeah, barber. The well, barber. They're going to look out for me, though. You know what I mean? They're going to bless me. So here I am. I got drugs galore. I remember I remember one day I was going to get someone for a haircut, you know, and the guards, you know, they let the barbers go in the wings and, you know, go to the cells and grab the guys. I go up to the cell, and they're all in there shooting heroin. And they're like, they're like, come in, come in, come in, you know. And like, you're the barber, you're the popular, you know. Yeah. You could be the popular guy being the barber, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Barbers got respect unless yeah. you give bad haircuts. Enough. Unless you give bad haircuts. <laughs> at first, yeah, I had some, I had some friends that were pretty pissed off at me. Um, yeah, it's funny because um, I didn't really have a hustle in there at the time. I wasn't getting much money, and I, um, I'm like, man, I need to do something. A barber, a barber slot came open. And, like, I knew the other barber. I'm like, man, give me that job. He's like, can you cut hair? I'm like, oh, sure. yeah, I could cut hair. I got this, you know. <laughs> um, but luckily I had some some friends in there that were like, yeah, you can you can cut my hair, you know what I mean, be a crash dummy. So yeah. over time I got better. But, yeah, so. But then it's like I'm, you know, back to going to get this guy for a haircut there and they're shooting dope. He's like, come on in. You want a shot? You know what I mean? So it's just like – um. Are stuff. you st are you staying in touch with the outside world when you get put away for six years, or are you just in for um, your stint? I got my mom as my number 
okay. one support. Some family members I talk to, but usually, you know, when you do them long periods of time, it's people just out of sight, out they of get mind. Busy. Yeah. You know, so um, thank God I had my mom, though. Like, she was always my number one right by my side. Uh, never had a, really had a woman to stay by my side. So, yeah, you know, it, it's it's rare. So you st- you get done with this stint that's a six-year stint. What's What are you thinking in your mind getting out now that you've been in for a while? So I was I was getting high in there up to like probably like my fifth year, and then that's when I met Ronnie. We started going to church, started doing the Christian hip-hop. Uh-huh. They let us do it in a church. We're doing shows in there. People are loving it. Um, um, I get clean in there. I'm not using drugs no more. I'm not passing drugs no more. You know, I like I basically went to all the the gang leaders. Was like, look, I'm, I'm getting I'm, out. I'm I'm getting sober. So pass your drugs to all the barber because I'm not going to do it no more. I just can't have that stuff in my life no more. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and then I'm I'm working out every day. I'm getting healthy. I'm talking to Ronnie. We're making plans. Mm-hmm. About to get out soon. It's exciting. You know, we're gonna get out. Of, we're gonna do this thing. Ronnie gets out before me. Um, I get out like a couple months after him. And uh, I go back to my same environment, you know, and um, which is tough. You know, that's I think that's one of the tougher things, especially if somebody is dealing with a drug addiction, because I think it's just tough if you get back into the world out of prison and you uh, back in the same world that got you into that world of prison. It's tough. I mean, the willpower and the um or to what you have to have to to step through all that. Yeah, because um, it's, I mean, it's it's a psychological thing when you when you go back to a bad environment. Yeah, it's like that's what your brain your brain remembers in mm-hmm. patterns, sure right? It does. So it's, it's a like, routine. Yeah, so you go back to that, and that's all you know. It's a comfort from that. routine. Yeah, it is, and so it's like. So you get out and then get out. I stay of, stay clean for like a month, and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And then I remember one night hanging out with this girl and I'm trying to sleep with her. You know, I've been locked up six years, you know, I'm trying to get laid. So, um, and then like, she, she's like, she's digging me. She's liking me, but then she rejects me. Right. So, and like, man, I'm just, I'm going to drink a couple beers, you know, try to lighten the mood yeah. up. And that's where like my addiction has started. And then before I know it, it just starts going, it started going again after that, you know, it's just like, before I know it, I'm shooting heroin again and running from the cops and, get locked back up. What does that feel like? Cause you know, you get, you get into this world and you in the prison world and you get yourself right and you're feeling right. You finally get released. You're, you're doing stuff with Ronnie thinking, Hey man, I'm going to hit this out here. You've got good stuff. I mean, you write good stuff. You've got real talent, but you fall into that. And now they say, Danny, you're going back. Yeah. So it's like, it's like you, for me, it was like, man, I had my hopes set so high that that I was I was so convinced that I was done with that life because here I am in prison, you know, and um, I'm saying no to drugs. And in you here. made the hard break in prison, which would be I, tough. Right, There's I'm, nowhere else to go. Right, <laughs> you're just you're contained. I can do drugs if I want to. Yeah, like they're exactly. all around me. Like I have easy access to them. Right, exactly. But it's like I don't want to do that. So like in my mind, it was like this is it. I finally got it licked, you know. Um, but I could say. This I wasn't fully working my you know my twelve step program. Yeah. I was I had a, a really solid connection with God, my higher power. So, um, 
I don't think that was the case. But it was like that, you know, that first step in AANA is, is admitting that you're powerless over your addiction, that your life has become unmanageable. Right. Uh, looking back now, it's like I didn't I didn't have that set in stone, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I did, I wouldn't have used, I wouldn't have drank that night. So, And I wouldn't have put myself in that high-risk situation. So, yes, environment plays a lot into it. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people say people, places, and things. You know, yeah. those things um, – those three things, yeah. you almost have to break yourself into where do I want to be, where do I want to go? Yep. And then you have to find mentors That's that it. are where you want to be and who you want to be. And then yeah. those people can hopefully hold, hold you. People, and places, you. and things, you know, you hear that a lot. So when I uh, I started drinking, it was like it just crushed my spirit because yeah. it was like, how did I even get to this again? Yeah. Like I, I was done with this and here I'm doing I fell heroin down. now. I fell down. And honestly, at that point, I didn't even want to get back up. Yeah. You know? I got comfortable in my addiction again, you know, and then me and Ronnie, our relationship got distant, you know, and basically left everything on him to, you know, he kept going, thank God, you know, um, but it was like, yeah, and then before I know it. You're back in. Here I am getting locked up. Okay, so when you you get, I want to take a break there right there because I want to recognize our our, uh, other show sponsor because I want to get back into when you went back in, what what your uh, mindset was and how you've, planned on getting yourself out because what you've done since you've been out is what i want to talk about a lot about um our um the other sponsor to our show aaronduncan.net what is aaronduncan.net well they are uh the they make bad news go away and they're known as the trauma surgeons of brand crises corporate scandals high profile litigation legal investigations prosecutions so what do they do? Well, they, they're crisis management, crisis communication, media relations, reputation management. They're prison, consulting, coaching. Uh, if you got a problem, they will be there, and they've been through this, and they know how to step through the crisis. If you've got a crisis, if you want a confidential consultation regarding a crisis, uh, need an advisor, somebody to walk you through your pain, your nightmare, Contact Aaron W. Duncan at gmail.com or text 636-236-5071. AaronDuncan.net, crisis management guy. I could have used him back in my day, Danny. So, yeah. So let's get into it. So you go back in. Um, what's, your, what's in your mind? What are you thinking? I'm back. What, what's, what, um, what are you, what's in your world of thought? I'm screwed. Yeah. Here I, you know, here I am again, here I am again. And not only here I am again, I got 11 felonies racked up in two different States. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, how do I do? Yeah. I've already been to prison numerous times. I just did a, you know, six year stretch and it's just like, man, they're going to, they're going to nail me to the cross for this. Yeah. There's, there's no getting out of this. And I remember just talking to God and like, you know, thinking about, my destiny because I've had a lot of visions about the music and the ministry that I'm involved with. And it's just like, you know, even, you know, how we got the name link boys. I don't know if Ronnie had said it. He on did the say a little bit. Did they lead you through uh, the darkness? Is that part of what it is? Yeah. So one day, and you know, when we're doing the Christian hip hop in prison, um, I felt like the spirit was just like, open the dictionary and look at the first word you see. And I did. And the word link boy was right there. And I read it, and it said in the 1600s they would hire guys to hold lamps in the street at night to shine light to help people make 
help make a way home for people. So that's awesome. I love so that. that Cause like, I never knew that yeah. until, uh, Ronnie was talking so about like, that. It was like, it's a real thing. It's like something when you which hear is such a great, uh, when you see title. something like that, when you experience something like that, and then here I am getting like visions from God, like I'm seeing us on stage. When you, when you get this, it's like, can't nothing hold you back. It's like, you know, like you're doing what God's calling you to do. So, um, but then I relapse and I, I'm, I'm back in prison. I'm, I'm, I'm asking God, I'm like, you know, I'm wrestling. I'm like, how can, how can you show me all this stuff? You know? And then here I am about to go do a whole bunch of time. Like this ain't going to work. I'm, I'm 30, 31 years old. I go do 10, 15 years. It's just over with, you know, yeah. there's really nothing else, you know? And I meant to ask you too, Danny, as you're going through all this, um, I know your mom's connected with you. Have you had any type of connection with your kids in this time period that's that's going no. so they're they're off and and no so okay. yeah so that now we're about to get you know to some good stuff okay. so here i am sitting in prison and i'm just like i am just shaken broken i'm exhausted i feel hopeless i don't want to try no more i just want to do the best i can with what i got in this life if it's if it's prison then then so be it then i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm going to be the best convict that I can be. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, um, but I, I'm still trying to get my mind right. And I'm, I'm talking to God. And I'm like, if, if what you had shown me for the link boys, the vision, if, if, if that's it, Lord, then, then make a way, mm-hmm. you know? And I wasn't, it's not like I was trying to get out. Of, like I, I know I had to pay for my crimes, right? Pay for my stakes. So it wasn't like I was like begging God to, get me out of it. Like I was ready to accept whatever right. consequences you I just had. just wanted something better. But it was like, Lord, if, if, if this, if there's something different that you want me to do, make a way yeah. because I can't, I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing it. What you're doing. You know, I'm not seeing it. So it was like right after that, my son who I haven't talked to in 12 years, my niece gets a hold of him on Facebook reaches out to him and I'm, I'm locked up. I'm in St. Charles County jail right now mm-hmm. when this all happens. And, uh, he wants to talk to me. Wow. Yeah. And I actually got to talk to him and I wrote him a letter and kind of explained to him, you know, what was going stuff on? that happened and, but he wants to be involved in my life, you know? And then, man, that had to hit you hard. It did. And in it's a like, good way. yeah, I'm excited to hear from him, but at the same time, it's like, here I am in jail, you yeah. know, I got to get, out. how do I get out of this? You know? And then, uh, I got a public defender cause I got no money. I don't have no money for a good lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So she comes to me and she's like, I can get you a year long drug treatment at Ozark Correctional Center. Wow. She's like, but the catch is you have to take a 15 year backup. And I'm like, dang, <laughs> you want to explain yeah. that, how it's that works? Like, yeah, so it's like, okay, you go do a year in this treatment center, you get out, but if you mess up your probation, they're going to sentence you to 15 years. Yeah. And that's actually the probation that I'm on right now. I got a five-year sentence, 15-year backup. And going through all this, like in and out, back and forth, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to walk. I've never been able to walk down papers for a year, let alone five, Yeah, you know. so But at the same time, my son's back in my you life. You want all this, right? The I, good stuff. Yeah, like I want to be out, and it's like, man, it was it? Sounds like a lifeline to me. Yeah, and it's like good for this public defender. Yeah, and I'm like, Lord, is this? What's it? her name? 
You remember? We'll look her up. We'll yeah. put it in the show episode notes. I, I I love it when you hear a good public defender story. Man, I'm telling you, she she was really good. I I could definitely uh definitely get her name. I just can't think about it. Doesn't matter. It's been we'll a couple put it in the ago. episode notes. So it's like, here it is. Like here here's an opportunity. I don't have to do too long. I can do enough time to get clean, get my mind right, get refocused. My son's coming back in my life, yeah. you know. And it's just like, uh, Ronnie starts, you know. Me and Ronnie are talking again now because I'm locked up, and he's, in a way, he's relieved because he knows I'm not going to die yeah. in my addiction, you yeah. know, even though it was like a, you know, it was like I abandoned him, you know, it was just a situation. Yeah. So we had a, a distant relationship at first, but, and then like uh, I started getting a lot of help and support in there. And then I go to the rehab, I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing in there. And, um, what are the people like you're with there? So, yeah, so this rehab center was actually a couple, a few years ago, it was probably one of the best as far as an institutional. Because until you mentioned it, I didn't even know about it. I didn't well, even know we had something like that in Missouri. COVID, so COVID hits, okay. right? This is this is right when COVID hits. Okay. Uh, I get locked up. It was right after our like little two-week lockdown for everyone. And um, it changes the whole atmosphere inside the it would be treatment. a terrible time to get locked up. It changes the whole atmosphere inside the drug treatment. So it's a year-long drug treatment, but courts shut down, and they're not sentencing people to this drug treatment. Yeah. They have to keep it open because it's the state's, right? So what does the state, their best thinking is what they do. They send these level five guys that are getting dirty drops, violent offenders. To their Gangbangers to this year-long drug treatment. Oh, man. These guys in here got anywhere from five to 50-year backup. Wow. If they don't make this, if they don't complete this drug treatment, they have to go do all that time. So now they're mixed. So this nice drug treatment center where you're getting help, it's like a prison yard, but worse. Sure. Because now you got, you know, you got you got guys running around. Players. Yeah, like while I was there, there was there was two gang fights, like big ones. There was a riot in the prison. Yeah. Um, there were stabbings there. People got beat with locks. Wow. And it's like, man, I'm I'm tiptoeing around all this. Yeah. And thank God I, you know, I got God on my side. And it's like, man, that's a you got guys in there that are on, on methamphetamine, they're up for two weeks. And they got twenty five years ago due back at prison. So they're sitting in this drug treatment for a year. And it's it's a wide open facility. Yeah. So they get to be outside all day. Yeah. Versus the level five where they just came from, if they're lucky to get out for an hour. Mm-hmm. So to them it's like heaven. Yeah. You know? They're outside hanging out on the yard all day. You got a guy in there up for two weeks, and he starts thinking everybody's out. Everybody's telling on him. You know, paranoia Get kicks paranoid, in. Yeah. You don't know what this guy's thinking, thinking so he you're comes. A snitch. Yeah. Thinking you're a snitch. Yeah. You know, you, how'd you get this? You know, how'd yeah. you get this uh, sentence with probation? You know, so it's like that's a scary thing because if this guy comes at me, I got to defend myself. You know, but if I do, I get in a fight, I get kicked out. Yeah. And I got to go do a 15-year backup. 15-year stat, yeah. So it was pretty crazy. Like, it was it crazy. It sounds like a lot. But sitting in there, I was like, man, I, I'm done with this. I don't want to live this life. This is not what I want to be no more. Yeah. This is not. So Ronnie had let me parole to his house when I got out, which was a That's I mean, awesome. it was a big help in my recovery. That is such a big deal. I didn't know that. I, I didn't realize that part of your story because I think – those little things like that are such such big things, Danny, that, you know, being able to get out instead of going back into the wrong area, 
now you're at Ronnie's house and you can start taking some steps that feel normalized of where you want to be, what you want to do, how you want to connect. Yeah, because like I didn't even know what normal was in society. Yeah. My normal wasn't normal. Mm-mm. So I had to learn that even though I found a way to not do drugs in prison, I never really found the way to not do drugs outside because I mean in this world, this fast-paced world that we live in, there's way more stresses. Oh, yeah. Way more responsibilities. <laughs> exactly. And, and it you, can. And you're it dumped can, right back into it. It could quickly drive someone to go use. You exactly. know what I mean? So, um, yes, going to Ronnie's, having a different environment, like, was, was key to my recovery, you know? And I think it's... Well, let's talk through that. Because, I mean, you've had some really good stuff happen um, in really a short amount of time of really yeah. putting in the work that has created your own success uh what else happened since that time you got released out and you're at ronnie's and and you you enter back into this uh crazy fast world yeah so um the knowledge that my dad had given me uh, as far as like working for myself minus the scamming right the good stuff the the good stuff right (laughs) i cut the fat out of that out of that steak so i was like i'm i can run my own business i can do this so I started my own business, my own LLC, yep. pro contracting. So, um, became my own boss, and it's been it's been really successful. Um, I've been out a little over a year, and I mean it's booming. Business is booming. I stay busy Monday. What all Friday. do you do? Tree trimming, tree removal, home repairs, yeah. power washing, driveway seal coating. Yeah. So I do a little bit of everything, and then even do like some subcontract work. So I, I built up a connection of people that. Like I got an electrician now that you know I can kind of sub work to him or, you uh, know. But I mean that's and then in your music so lead us into that. So yeah, I hit the ground running with that too, and that was you know all glory to God and and, and Ronnie because Ronnie was out while I'm locked up you know going through what I'm going through. He's still he's still building working the foundations of the music. Yeah, a lot of stuff that you know being an artist you don't really understand like how much stuff really goes behind as far as if you're being an independent artist, yeah, it's a business to itself. It is. You got to start a business and it's just, it's a lot of technicalities and he was able to figure a lot of that out. So when I got out and he was able to teach me, boom, like we're off, we're doing ministry events. I remember my first week out, we went to a church to do a, a an event, a youth event. I wasn't even out a week. You wow. Know? That's why it was like already set up, ready to go. So, and it was, it was just awesome. So it was like, even though like I strayed from the path, it was like God had, catapulted me right back into my destiny and what's uh situation with your kids now so yeah it's it's great like i'm talking to my son and my daughter i got how old are they um my son's 17 my daughter's 14 yeah um so they're back in your life they're back in my life not like fully fully but we're talking on social medias and building that connection that relationship yeah um and actually just had a newborn baby too so wow another daughter so yeah you got a lot of good stuff. Let's listen to some of your music here. Let's. I want to play the. Uh, I want to play the song that's on the radio right now. So this this song is actually released under my solo artist name. So it's not released under Link Boys. It's it released under my name. It's 3D. But and the song's is, called uh, Rescue, Rescue Me, Me. featuring Palais, and it's actually on radio right now. Uh, it's not playing. It's playing through your computer. I don't hear it through the headphones. Okay, hold on. I'm going to 
it needs to be connected to the Wi-Fi. So, yeah, I'll just kind of. Yeah, why don't you give me a little background on it while you're I'm connecting this up. Yeah, so uh, what's cool about this album, Transparent, that I just released, almost every single song on that album was actually wrote in prison. Which is very cool. Which was another way that God had made because Ronnie was able to send me burnt CDs with beats on it inside the prison. And I'm I'm in I'm in the uh prison performing shows in there and able to write music. So like all these songs I actually wrote in prison. So this was a song that I started in prison. Um and I, I had like the chorus and my verse was done and then I um had started reaching out to different artists to try to connect to build my connection. And uh, this guy, Pale, was already on the radio, reached out to him on social medias. I sent him the song. He wrote his his verse, changed the chorus around a little bit to kind of give like his own flavor to it. We had sent it to the radio, and uh, and they love it. So let's give it a listen. All right. stuff man thanks good stuff man i'm proud of you i mean because you know we talked about this danny because you know trying to get right trying to find your ways is is never um clean easy you know it's it's messy and you, you have to crawl a little bit and get dirty and step back up and you get knocked down and then you got to figure out do i want to just be down or do I have a reason to get up? And, you know, the cool thing about your story is, is that somewhere along the way, you actually just could have given up. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely. could be not here with us, you know. That's true. And there's there's something, you know, that happened to you that just said, man, I, I don't like what this is anymore. I'm not living in this neighborhood anymore. I'm getting out. And that takes a lot. But I, I think the the message of that is, is that you can. You, you can if, if you if you set yourself in the right mindset and and look for people who are going to help you get there because you got all the talent i mean you get you're you're smart yeah it's just it's just not falling into that ugly that ugly stuff yeah, and, and get sure. and just keep eating out of the good stuff and, and filling up on that so it's it's cool it's a great story i'm glad that we were able to do this I want to ask you though, out of all the stuff that you've been through, because you've kind of you've been through so many different layers of fighting it, getting it, yep. and and making it. What do you think's your biggest takeaway through all this? Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Any any pathway to success, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. You're going to fail. Yeah, it's part of it's part of becoming successful. Yeah, you know, and don't be afraid to try different things. You know, don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Mm. Um, sometimes that's what it takes. You got to retrain your your thoughts, you know. So uh, your biggest battle is going to be the mind. So 
Yeah. And we talk about on this show, you know, everybody builds up prisons in their own mind. Yeah. The question is, how do you break those down? Because it's such a hard thing to, you know, get to. How do you get to, how do you get to that point where the scary stuff, we call this nightmare success, the scary stuff is you got to go walk through, around, over, under, the stuff that scares you, the stuff that makes you nervous, the stuff that uh, might be your own nightmare to get to that other side of where you want to be. And your thing was, is that, man, I got so much good stuff over here. I got kids. I've got, I got the talent of music. I know how to build a business of my own. You just had to get there. Yeah. And that's, that's I think that's So, really yeah, good. it's, uh, so I've been out a little over a year. Um, I own a business. I've released two albums. Uh, working on a third Let's album. Let's talk about where they find you, Danny, on here. Because I, I just found you on Spotify under 3D. Yeah. I, I, I'm assuming you're also under Link Boys. Yeah, so Link Boys is the group, which was me and Ronnie, which mm-hmm. is uh, his uh, rap name is, is J7. J7, 3D. And then you can go to um, you can go to YouTube and see all the cool videos because yeah. you guys got some cool videos. 3D Link Boys or, 3D, uh, or Link Boys. Yeah. If you look up either one of them. 3D on all my social uh, medias, the real 3D, you know, Instagram, Facebook is 3D, TikTok is 3D, uh, Link Boy. So, um, yeah. A Check little, him out. little it's Google search is a. Uh, it's the real stuff, too. When you see when you see Danny uh, on these, I mean, he's, his setup and the way they film these, it's, 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 uh, it's powerful. It's good. Thanks. Really good. I was showing it to my wife the other day. She said, wow, you could interview that guy? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am not a rapper and I don't sing, yeah. but I did write a book. It's called Nightmare Success. Um, check it out. It's at Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, Walmart. Uh, if they don't have it, tell them to order it. Uh, love all the uh, back and forth and the support I get uh, on the social media and comments. If you got a chance, I know it's a hassle, but uh, man, Apple reviews, if you can go, it just puts the show on steroids uh, for promotion. It's pretty easy. You just go to my page on Apple, scroll down, see where reviews are, hit write a review, boom. Don't even have to say much, just write a review. Follow me with the bell on Spotify. Hit the check mark on uh, Apple. Listen everywhere else, Apple Music or Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Check me out on BrentCassidy.com. That's where everything's going on. Leave me a message. As I used to say to uh, my people when I was – writing my emails back and forth at Leavenworth. Stay strong. I'll do the same. Danny Mitchell, thanks so much for coming over today yeah, and sharing you. your story. It's good yeah. stuff. Really good Appreciate stuff. Nightmare success in and out. Thanks for being here today, folks.